Hold on. Can you, can you Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And on today's episode, we have a fellow Canuck, a fellow Canadian who actually just did an incredible journey all the way from Canada to South America. Uh, he went from Canada to the U.S. and then traveled around South America for about six months. And uh, uh, he traveled over 50,000 kilometers. And it's such an inspiring journey. He's actually been documenting it on social media and especially on YouTube. Uh, he had a daily vlog and then he's been doing like country episodes and city episodes and uh, I've watched several of them and it's very inspiring his story. So we thought we'd bring him on the show to hear his story and to inspire other people who may be on a budget and they don't know how to travel and they've never hitchhiked or maybe they have limited experience. Uh, so we're going to learn a lot from Jack. So Jack, uh, to start off with, why don't we hear a little bit more about yourself? Tell us about yourself and then uh, what made you start this big adventure? Hi, so my name is uh, Jack Fang, and uh, I'm a YouTuber um, and a hitchhiker. So basically, yeah, like like what Ricky said, um, I hitchhiked from uh, Canada to Argentina. It actually took me a year, um, and uh, yeah, I passed by all the countries by land, so Canada, uh, you know, all the way to Central America to uh, South America. Um, uh, so I don't know. I'm a student, and uh, basically, in the summer, I go travel around the world. Um, and it's really expensive to travel. So, um, I basically hitchhiked most of my ways, like 95% of my uh, traveling. And I combined with couch surfing and camping outside, um, I'm able to, uh, travel with very limited amount of money. Um, so for that one year trip, I spent about a thousand something dollars, not accounting, um, costs for flying back because I flew back, but I didn't fly to South America. So that was the total amount that I spent. Um, so traveling with a very low budget is possible, but you need to um, do some very different things. If you want to find more about it, you can go to Hitchhike the World in, uh, on YouTube. You just type Hitchhike the World and you'll find me. You have an amazing story and, uh, you know, uh, all of these video blogs. So why don't you walk us through the logistics? I mean, uh, uh, tell us about the planning firstly. Uh, when you were in Canada, you know, uh, where we're both from, tell us about what made you uh, uh, decide to go to South America and the route. Uh, walk us through the logistics and the planning stages. Well, I, I really didn't plan. The way I travel is very, uh, it's like, it's very ramble, you know, like I basically don't plan anything. I don't bring any money with me and I just start my trip. Um, but before uh, hitchhiking across the Americas, I, I had experience with uh, hitchhiking across Europe and um, across Canada. So I already had um, a year of experience before, uh, specifically with hitchhiking. Um, but um, from Canada to Argentina, I barely planned. I The only thing I would do is um, if I'm heading to a certain country or a certain direction, about 500 kilometers to the night, like the next day, like where I'm going, I'll basically send some couchsurfing hosts and usually I'll get uh, my couchsurfing. If, I, if you guys know what couchsurfing is, um, I'll get my couchsurfing requests and I'll get, I'll stay there. And if I can't get any couchsurfing requests, I'll basically camp um, outside of the, uh, the, the highway or the city. It all depends on where you are. Uh, so tell us about the route. Um, uh, what city did you leave from? And then uh, talk, Walk us, through, you know, walk us through some of the routes in terms of the cities and the states you went through uh, to get all the way to South America. Okay, so well, I started in Halifax, um, Canada, and um, I hitchhiked from Canada to United States through the east, eastern states. 
Um, so my first state was uh, New York State, and then my final state was uh, Texas. So I went through the Eastern route. Um, after United States, I went through Mexico, um, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama. And then from Panama, there's a daring gap. Um, this gap, uh, there's no roads from Panama to South America, Colombia, because uh, politics or whatever. So there are no roads physically possible. So I tried hitchhiking sailboats um, at the daring gap uh, in Colón, Colón. Um, but I was unsuccessful there at the ports um, because everybody was charging me money for uh, riding the sailboats. So eventually I, I, I flew from that gap, which was a 100-kilometer gap, to Bogota, to the capital of Colombia at the north side of South America. And from South America, I hitchhiked to Ecuador, and then from Ecuador to Peru, um, uh, in English, Peru. And then from Peru, hitchhiked to Machu Picchu, you know, and then... I went to the Amazon in Brazil. During that time, it was the Brazilian Olympics, so I was trying to rush to get to the Olympics. But I also got sick, um, and I thought it was malaria in the Amazon. Um, but apparently, it was the food I ate in uh, in Peru. And uh, thank God, um, healthcare is not only free to um, citizens, but also um, foreigners. For some reason, I have no idea why. Maybe it's because I was in the Amazon, so they didn't really care where you're from. Um, so I got free health care. Um, basically, they treated me uh, in a city called Giparana in Mato Grosso. And then that's a state in the north in, near the Amazon of Brazil. And then I went around Brazil. I actually um, dated a girl, and I'm still dating her. It's been a year. Um, she's from uh, Dourados in Mato Grosso do Sul, which is another state in Brazil. Um, I spent a lot of time in Brazil, uh, six months actually, um, the maximum amount of time I can stay. And finally, it was getting close to um, time to go home to study because um, I'm a student. Um, and I actually took a year off for this trip. So I decided to go home, but um, I didn't want to hitchhike back home because I only had two weeks before school started. So I basically uh, wanted to finish the trip by hitchhiking to the final a country in the most south of South America, which is Argentina or Chile, depending on where you're looking at it. So um, I basically crossed the last two countries, Argentina and Chile, and finished my trip in Antofagasta, Chile. Um, and from there, uh, I flew back in Peru. So that was basically my trip, uh, m my most re recent trip. Yeah, uh, what, what an amazing adventure and uh, to see all those countries. I'm actually in Bogota, Colombia as I'm doing this interview here and we'll be going mm. south as well, but we're not hitchhiking. Uh, I, get, I got young kids, so it's hard to hitchhike with kids. But, uh, yeah, I uh, understand. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> I knew somebody who hitchhiked with kids. It's possible, but I, I don't recommend it. I'm a single 22-year-old. Uh, um, back when I was hitchhiking um, a lot, I was 20 years old and um, it was very easy for me back in the day. Um, and the older I get, the more I feel like I want to do more um, conventional styles of traveling, but with other methods, uh, maybe like cycling across or something. Um, but uh, it was a great time for my very early 20s. Uh, so tell us about um, uh, the hitchhiking journey itself. Um, you know, uh, was it easy? Was it difficult? Was it somewhere in the middle in terms of what you expected? and the reality like tell us more about the actual hitchhiking yeah well from from yeah because basically my entire trip was hitchhiking right um from camp well 
this specific trip or the one in Europe or okay, so the one down south, right? So um, yeah, I assume you're assuming anything south of Canada, but um, basically, United States and Canada they felt quite similar. But during that time, Trump Trump was getting elected, and I did feel some stigma in United States in terms of um, racism and discrimination, but it wasn't as strong as I expected. Um, in fact, the only time I had a very hard time was crossing the border from Canada to the United States. I'm talking about all my experiences, and the hardest place for me to hitchhike was actually at the border of Canada, United States. Not the Mexican border, because I was going from Canada, sorry, I was going from United States to Mexico, so that was actually a really easy border, because once you leave US, they don't care, and the Me Mexican uh, border, they barely have any patrols there. Um, but the one entering the United States was so hard, I actually got detained and um, they refused entry because I didn't have a vehicle. So I tried my second time. Actually, that was a fun story. That's on my YouTube channel too. But basically, I tried to cross the border by walking across um, at the Thousand Island Bridge. Um, but because I didn't have a vehicle, so I just decided to walk across. And there, you know, once I was crossing the border and then cops were looking at me, they're like, what are you doing here? You got to. Uh, have proper blah 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 and then so they're like here's all the papers you're detained and then they refused entry so a few hours later i went back to the canadian side and then i was just standing there on the canadian border i was thinking what am i doing with my life i'm gonna i wanted to hitchhike across the world but i'm stuck here in the canadian border um and then i'm like you know what i'm gonna try again so during that so the same day I just turned around and I tried my second time and two grandmas from, I think, Watertown, New York, uh, they picked me up again. Uh, sorry, they picked me up. And then at the border, the same border guards that saw me the first time saw me again. And it's like, oh, it's you. Well, I was so lucky because the guy, he, he's shaking his head. He's like, watch out in Mexico. Pass. So that was a very scary moment for me because I thought my second time, if I get caught again, I would be in, in the big trouble because, you know, I was repeating what I just did. But I was really lucky and I'm kind of afraid to do it again. If I would cross that border again, I would find a legitimate um, border where you can cross by foot. But I was actually at a border where you can only vehicles can pass. So I actually chose a really bad border to do that. Other than that, um, a lot of you might be very interested in Central and South America, what it's like, the stigma there and the difficulty and how dangerous it is. Um, let me tell you what, my, what I think, but I don't know if you guys have time. Um, so Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jack. Okay. So um, if you're really interested in the northern border of Mexico, it was actually very um, safe in my opinion. Um, it's not like what people say about cartels, in my opinion, because I was only crossing there. So I only spent... Um, a few days crossing that. And in my opinion, I crossed the border in La Laredo, um, near uh, San Antonio, Texas, and I crossed south there and to Monterrey, Mexico. And I didn't have a, a problem there. And it, But people were telling me that you're going to get shot, you're going to get killed, um, it's the most dangerous place in the world, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't have any problems. Maybe I'm just really lucky, or maybe it's just the media really hypes it up. But or it's just because I'm a single guy and I just don't look like someone interesting enough to shoot for no reason. Uh, I have no idea, but um, yeah, I just crossed that border without any problems. The only pro uh, time I had problems was in, uh, where was it, Colombia. Uh, in one of the 
of v, v, villas in uh, Colombia at night, there was a truck, well, there was a national problem with the truck protesters. And basically all the tr truckers were protesting all across the country. Um, people couldn't get gas. People lined up for like eight hours to get gas. So the people there were getting pretty pissed off. And I was at this one town where they started shooting at each other. I didn't know if it was real guns or tear gas or whatever, because I have no in, um, experience in that. But um, basically at night you hear a bunch of like, and then you hear tear gas and people screaming. That was the most scary thing in my life. Um, but I was also very curious. So I was filming the entire scene, uh, seeing Roy police with um, the protesters fighting each other. And then they capture some people into the um, prisoner truck. I have no idea what they do with them. But uh, it was a very real experience that I, I saw. Um, so that was something quite interesting. Um, and again, uh, they weren't interested in random tourists. They were the protesters, you know, have a grudge against the riot police. So there's really no reason for them to um, do anything against me. So unless I was in their way, which I wasn't, um, I didn't really have a problem. So in Colombia, that was my only issue. In Brazil, I spent six months there. Um, I spent most of my time in the west and north side of Brazil, not in the southeast. I did uh, I did go to Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo, but um, I had a great time there. Brazil is still my favorite country. Everybody says Brazil is very dangerous, but they're focusing a lot on the favelas of Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro. So um, that's not um, Brazil. That's just one city of Brazil. Um, it's like saying United States is dangerous because... Detroit is dangerous or something like that. Los Angeles is dangerous because, you know, things like that. Um, so, yes, um, in Rio de Janeiro, I did feel a vibe in terms of people were scared and all that. But it was only when I went to the favelas, near the favelas. But in downtown where all the tourists are at, I felt quite safe. Um, Sao Paulo is just a very big city. It's the biggest city in Latin America. And um, you get all kinds of things there. Um, so I didn't really feel scared there because just so many people and, uh, you, you didn't see many, there wasn't really violence on the streets and all that. I didn't see that. I think media really exaggerates. Um, anyways, uh, Chile, Peru, and, um, Argentina, they felt really safe for me. Peru is still my favorite country for scenery, um, cheap food also. Um, so yeah, um, there's so much to talk about and, you know, if you want to know more, you can just find my channel. And I'm making videos every day, editing them. So uh, hopefully you get to see. Because I make vlogs for every single day. So you get to see details of every day of my trip. Yeah, that's amazing, Jack. And I agree with you. I was actually uh, in Brazil. Uh, we've been in uh, South America for about three months. Uh, we started in Brazil. And French Guyana. And then Suriname and the Guyana. As well, but unfortunately, a little bit of political mess right now. So we went up to Trinidad, and now we're in Colombia, and then we're heading uh, south into Peru, uh, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, um, uh, Paraguay, Argentina, etc. Nice. But you're traveling with two kids, and I just can't imagine doing the same thing. It must be very different, and uh, I just can't imagine how you can manage that. And you definitely have to plan things. Like me, I have no plans, no schedules, nothing. I'm very flexible. Every night. I can just sleep in a ditch if I want. Um, when I was traveling um, very nomadically last year, um, I was 21 years old. I was I was 
physique wise i was the best at my time so i was you know i could sleep anywhere um not have food for a few days and i wouldn't have a problem and you know i was traveling by myself so the only person i really needed to worry is myself so it was a very different time but now that i'm getting i know it's funny that i'm saying it but now that i got i'm getting a little older i'm starting to feel the pressure of traveling more conventionally but that doesn't just um that doesn't mean i'm gonna uh, um, just right away stop my travels I still want to travel all the other countries in Africa I want to explore all of Africa Middle East Asia they're doing the same things hitchhiking or um, or whatever I just want to explore all the countries in planet earth and um, but already like after the trip in Americas it took me six months to recover after I came home because um, every day was so exciting but then right after I came home I got um, really depressed because uh, it was very difficult to handle a very normal life and I, li I live in the capital in, in Ottawa, Canada uh, so I went back to study right and it was very normal life and I just couldn't imagine the year before that um, I was just experiencing things every single day it was the most the best time of my life so it was very hard to adjust after coming back sorry I went off topic and, uh, you know, I can relate to that, too, by the way. Uh, I did a lot of traveling before I got married and ki had kids. And uh, I'd done um, uh, Southeast Asia, I did Europe, I did Australia, New Zealand. And then, uh, when, uh, you know, I went back to Canada and I felt the same thing you did. Uh, depression, uh, you know, feeling like kind of like, why did I come back? <laughs> Where's the adventure? Where's the purpose? Where's the novelty? Uh, it felt very much like a routine. So I struggled with that. And that's part of the reason we left again. And now we're focusing on uh, South America. Uh, which we've never been to before this trip. And we actually want to do Africa and Middle East as well. And our goal is to visit every country too. So we have similar that, goals. That is crazy. But you have kids. It's much we, uh, different. Local buses and we do, uh, you know, the ferries. We do some trains and, you know, the occasional flight. So, Jack, um, tell us about, um, you know, the hitchhiking in terms of, like, uh, what kind of people did you meet? You must have some amazing stories of the cool oh, people God. you met. Oh, God. Tell us about the stories about the hitchhiking, the hitchhiking people who picked you up. I've got picked up over, I think, over 1,500 rides by this point in time. I went across about, uh, I don't know, maybe 70,000 kilometers in total. I'm not just talking about the Americas trip because before I did Europe and all that. So I had so many rides, like, it's hard to think on top of the spot. Um, I have some very, I, I don't know, like you want positive ones, really creepy ones, uh, really interesting ones, funny ones. A lot of them, um, I, it's just the one, a lot of them are the, from the most recent trip because, you know, they're fresh in my mind. And so I, I don't know what you, what you guys want. Yeah, I mean, I definitely focus on the South American trip. What were some of the, the fun stories? Uh, meeting the locals who picked you up. Do you have any kind of unique uh, people who picked you up? Any strange people? Any scary people? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> tell yeah. us about the type um, of people. Okay, so if you if you guys want this one, I'll tell you guys this one because um, you know when you associate with hitchhiking and all that, you first thing you think is this guy might be a rapist or a serial killer, and that one day happened. That happened quite often, actually. Um, for example, a recent trip after hitchhiking across America is actually went back to Canada and then hitchhiked across Canada again, um, I got picked up by multiple serial killers in Canada, which was quite interesting. Um, and there was this one, and, and yeah, it was, I don't, I, I should focus on one, I guess. Oh, there was also a gang member, like a gang 
that picked me up, but they were all females. I was in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. But if you want me to just focus on uh, uh, South America, okay, so I was in Rio Janeiro, and uh, this guy, he's, so I was on the street standing there with my thumb, and then, you know, I saw this car just parked behind, behind me for uh, like about 10 meters distance, and uh, it was just staring at me. The guy was just staring at me, but I didn't really pay attention, you know. But he was just there for literally five minutes. Okay, and then then he beeped his car, and then I'm like, "Oh, there's a car that stopped." I didn't realize he was parked there for five minutes. And then he's like, uh, "You want to you want to ride in Portuguese?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So then we go in, and the and right right when we got in, the he started grabbing my dick and started uh, trying to masturbate me. And I filmed the entire thing too. That was the best part. I was holding my Go GoPro right here, and he doesn't even notice because I guess I'm. Some of the older folks don't have a lot of knowledge with the techno modern technology. Um, not all, some of them, especially in Latin America, because they don't um, have. Uh, it's expensive to get, uh, you know, electronics. It's like high advanced, like you know, like GoPros and all that. So basically, the guy was just trying to masturbate me, and I'm just holding the camera and I'm, I'm showing it all. Was, it's funny, but I, I, I didn't feel scared or anything because I, I don't know, like. Um, it wasn't like the guy was trying to kill me. He was just trying to have sex with me. I'm, I'm heterosexual, but you know, awkward for some people, but you know, I, I just kindly said, please stop. I, I just want to get out of the vehicle, but I was very calm about it. I wasn't like freaking out. Cause I know that if I started freaking out, worse things can happen. For example, he might collide with another vehicle or, or pull out a weapon who knows so i just kept it really calm and professional and then i left um i guess that happens quite often for me so i'm pretty used to it but that's the most fresh in my mind and i even filmed it but i haven't uploaded that yet because i I'm, I'm still editing each video you know i'm only up to peru um so that's one really interesting one <laughs> and if what you guys yeah? Yeah. yeah 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 what about the Oh, I was going to ask you about uh, what about the stuff that you carry when you're hitchhiking? Do you uh, uh, just carry one backpack? Do you have any weapons just in case something happens? Do you have, do you have an escape plan? Um, you know, like obviously someone could be a serial killer and if they wanted, they could be pretty much stab you or shoot you. Uh, do you have any kind of pepper spray or how, how do you deal with emergencies? Nothing. My, my weapon is right here, I think. And, I, and it happened these things happen quite often and i always solve the problem by just um talking to the person or you know may, unless i i'm very unlucky and i meet a guy that is determined to kill me for no reason and just wants to do it for pleasure um which never happened to me and i got rides with 1500 people so um maybe the one day that will happen and it has happened but when that happens it's on the news and it's very rare out of billions of people that happens like once out of few few million you know something like that so if i get that i'll win the lottery and i'll die but it hasn't happened to me yet uh, aside from that i don't prepare for that because you know i think about the positives in life about uh, positives in life and uh basically um another reason too is i don't think any weapon that i'll bring is effective because you can't bring guns um because you gotta cross um you gotta across borders and the cops are very strict about searching you so um i don't think that's going to be effective plus violence just stirs more violence um so i, n I never bother with that kind of stuff um i don't even bring pepper spray because i don't think i need it 
um, if somebody is being malicious to me or whatever, um, I'll try to figure out other ways such as trying to exit the vehicle or just talk the guy away or something. Uh, maybe I'm just really lucky, but things and prepare more about that, but it hasn't happened to me yet. And I've gotten rides for the past three years, like one, two, almost 2000 rides. So, um, you know, maybe my time is going to be up one day. No idea, but I'm not really afraid about that. It's just part of life. So, Jack, uh, how do you deal with the language uh, differences? Because you're from the nation's capital, Canada. Uh, you speak English, and uh, I assume some Chinese that's background. And, and now it looks like you learned some Spanish and Portuguese. But uh, how did you deal with the language barriers? Did you learn before you went, or did you just pick it up as you went? One thing I found is I had talent. You know, I, one thing I found is um, I'm quite talented with la learning languages, um, especially the initial phase. Um, so I can, you know, at first, before I, before I w um, went to a Spanish-speaking country, like I knew literally nothing. Um, and within a week, I was able to pick it up quite quickly. Um, um, my method was to use offline translator translators to start with. For example, when I was in Slovakia, I spoke zero Slovak. But after a week, I was able to start a conversation with people because I was using the offline translators like Google Translator, but with an offline pack. Um, so you Google words um, and it's perfect when you're um, with a driver and he speaks nothing except Slovak, you know, some random language. And the only way you're gonna communicate with this guy is to use your Google Translator and Google words in English to the, the language and just spit out words. And at first you, you have no idea what you're doing, right? Um, but after a while you get used to it and you just know which words to spit out in English. So instead of using um, all the um, prepositions, all the fancy words, adjectives or adverbs, you just try to focus on verbs, action verbs and nouns. And that's how I started, um, especially with more of the unique languages. With Spanish, French, Portuguese, it was very easy for me to learn because they're very similar. They're all Latin based. And before Spanish, I, I already spoke French because I lived in the capital. So learning Spanish and Portuguese was quite easy. That, so Latin America was never a problem for me. The biggest problem I had was in Europe when I was in more of the Eastern countries, like in Hungary. Um, many people didn't speak English at all. They spoke German, but they didn't speak English. Um, so I had to use the Google Translator offline option, or if they didn't have it for some languages, I would just have to um, improvise in other ways. But usually I never had that problem. And if I do plan to go to other countries, such as in Africa or Central Asia, it would be a good one. Um, I would learn the local languages, um, the basic words to start with. And I love learning languages. It's one of my biggest passions. And so um, it, it just goes with traveling and, you know, like it's part of my motivation to go anyways. So I, I really don't have a problem with that. Any barrier I have is exciting to me. To be honest, I kind of hate speaking English because um, I'm so immersed to it living in Canada. Um, so I just always want to speak in other languages. Even in Canada, I try not to think in English. I try to uh, think in Mandarin or Portuguese. It depends on the situation. Just to get more immersed in other languages. So Jack, uh, what is this trip? Uh, not only the South America trip and uh, the Americas trip, uh, but also all of your hitchhiking taught you about human nature. Uh, has it taught you that human nature is good or bad or is good and bad? Uh, tell us about some of the life lessons uh, oh, travel man. has taught you. You're really turning this into like a essay or something. <laughs> um, it's a philosophy, right? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, I think uh, it's a tough one. 
I think one of the biggest things I've learned from this traveling trip is that um, because I'm a student and, you know, I'm traveling during my university time, I realized university is really a waste of time and just finishing for the heck of finishing because I've been in school for four years. I can't wait to just graduate and get that piece of paper because I already spent so much money on it. But it's ironic because I know it's kind of useless in my opinion. Um, that's one of the life lessons I've learned. Um, is that being book smart and getting your degrees and papers is not going to make you necessarily happy in life. Um, it might get you a good, better job, but you might not be happy with your life because once you get that job, you might be stuck for the next 20 years with that job because, you know, family pressures, uh, you might have a family, a kid, and then bam, you know, um, it's hard for you to travel. You, you, know, you understand that for sure. Um, the kids really limit you to travel in certain ways or the ways you want to do things in life as well as having a wife and all that. But right now I have none of that. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I just have a girlfriend. So it's very, um, uh, very, you know, I'm very free to do basically what I want. So I, I that's one of the life lessons I learned is, um, pursue things that make me happy. Um, um, other things more directly travel related. I would think, um, I just think, People are generally nice. Um, the ones that are not nice, they don't pick me up, basically. And, um, you know, I, I never met someone very malicious that would just want to kill me because, you know, obviously I'm alive. But maybe, I mean, there are people out there. It's just I, I think there's so few people like that right now. So um, based on my experience, I think generally people are good. Um, mm -hmm. and I think people need to be less afraid of traveling, especially the time we're living in right now. We're not living in the great wars. Um, the cold war is over, but right now, you know, you have a very different time of the world where you can travel anywhere in the world, almost anywhere in the world in less than one day. And that idea is just mind blowing, you know, um, a hundred years ago. It would take you weeks to travel somewhere. Actually, it would be during the war, right? I don't know. 2000. Mm -hmm. It would be during the war, literally. It would be very difficult to travel anywhere. So we live in a really, really privileged time. And if you're listening to this, most likely you live in North America or Europe um, or um, the developed parts of Asia because you have technology to watch this. So you probably um, are privileged enough to travel. So, you know, we're such a privilege, you know, I realize how privileged I am compared to some other people. And that just, it, it, sh it shocks me. And I, I realize it, it, you know, I don't, it, it's, you know, you don't, you, you just take it for granted, you know? And whenever I come back to Canada and I see some people complaining about their lives, um, the way how life sucks and all that, I, I think we're really privileged and we should really value that and do something good for the community. Um, and that's one of the biggest things I've learned is, you know, born, born in 1995, I've, I've learned, you know, so much that right now I'm basically born in the best time, I think, in human history to be. Yeah, able. you know, I agree with you. Uh, you know, with the power of the internet, the power of technology, uh, even the cost, I mean, the costs are much cheaper nowadays, travel, flying and uh, things like that. So, yeah, we're very blessed uh, to live in a Western society. And, uh, 
you know, even if someone was not from the West, uh, Asia or Africa or um, South America, you can still travel. It might not be across the world or hitchhiking, etc. It might be just to your local state or another state or the neighboring country. So I'm a big advocate of just travel anywhere you can. Uh, so, Jack, uh, I, I'm really curious, what do your parents think? Because I'm Indian, and my parents um, uh, freak out whenever I travel, especially with my kids now, and know you're wow. about Chinese. Uh, how do your parents react about travel? That's a big one, because that's a big, that's a, there's a long history in that. I was actually raised by foster parents, so I have a pretty bad relationship with my parents. So, um, my biological parents are Chinese, but... Um, you know, they, they are pretty pissed at what I do. It's just they can't do much about it because I control my own life and I do whatever I want. So um, whatever they think is not what I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like being rebellious or anything. I just want to do what I want to do. Um, but um, my parents, like especially my dad, just wants me to focus on getting a good job, um, raising family, uh, here in Canada, in Ottawa, and just have a very peaceful life. And I kind of ag agree with him sometimes, especially when I'm in a very turbulent situation. But generally speaking, I, I just love seeking adventure. And uh, my mom, on the other hand, uh, she's pretty chill with me. She just wants me to do what I'm happy with. So, uh, my mom's actually very not un unstereotypical. So. <laughs> well, you know, I hope we get better with your family background, and thank you for sharing about that. Uh, Jack, uh, you know, there might be someone watching or listening who's never ever done hitchhiking, um, or maybe they've done a little. What advice would you give to someone who's wanting to start uh, the hitchhiking journey? Any advice or tips or suggestions for them? Uh, yeah. Um, step one, um, if I were you, I, I would just Google Hitchwiki. It's like Wikipedia for hitchhiking. Um, that's how I started. And all the information is online. And right there, you're going to learn a lot about hitchhiking there. Um, that would be step one. Um, anything else I say is already said in Wikipedia, pretty much. Um, a few things I do want us to point out is that um, if you are a, a single female, um, yes, it's possible. And I've seen many uh, single female hitchhikers out there who just hitchhikes by themselves. Um, you should talk to them about it. I'm not a, a female, so I can't really talk uh, in their opinion. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can talk to them. And again, in Facebook, there's a lot of groups for hitchhikers, and you can um, find these people, and they can give you much better advice than me. Um, and um, another thing I want to point out is um, don't be afraid about um, making your first step. If it's what you want to do, then go for it. Um, you know, you just need that first push, and after that, you just get you launch yourself up, and you realize how amazing it is, or not, depending on your experiences. So, you know, you gotta you gotta uh, take that first step, and that that was very hard for me too. My first ever hitchhiking experience, I was very nervous and had no idea what I was doing. Um, so, um, those are the best advices I give you. In fact, I'm thinking about making tutorials online for specifically mm -hmm. in this field. Um, so they'll be posted on my channel, Hitchhike the World. Well, what about things like, for example, uh, just using your thumb or putting up a sign? Uh, do you, uh, I, I think you use both. What have you found works better? Uh, tell us about that, uh, thumb or okay. sign or both. It all depends on where you are. For example, in Ontario, okay, I'm, I don't know if your viewers are Canadian. Uh, for example, in North America, 
Um, like in the United States, you have to deal with the police a lot of times because some of the states are not legal to hitchhike. So instead of hitchhiking, I would just ask people rides in the gas stations. Um, and that's perfectly fine until they kick you out. So then you just have to keep switching places. Um, but in Central and South America, I never had a single problem. <laughs> the gas station attendants there, uh, there are attendants in Central and South America. They basically help you. <laughs> so that was one culture shock I got. Um, in terms of what you write, um, what you, if you're going to stick with thumb or whatever, um, that depends on your situation. If you're like in a lot of countries, you can hitchhike on the highway when they're going 120 kilometers an hour. So in those kind of cases, when they're going fat, when they're fast moving and you're on the side and you don't have a wide pullover spot, uh, you're in a very bad situation. So instead of hitchhiking, I would actually try to move somewhere where I have a wide pullover spot. So you get into term terminology here. There's quite a lot of things and Wikipedia, you can learn a lot more about it, but basically the faster the vehicle is, um, the more likely I'm going to make myself visible um, in a weird way or interesting way, but not scary way. Um, just imagine if I was dressed in a chicken suit, it would be much more interesting for someone passing by 100 kilometers an hour, right? So um, if I would stick my thumb if I don't have any paper or Sharpies or um, crayons to write on. Um, so the, the thumb is always there when I don't have my tools. Um, and a lot of people just don't read when I was in Peru, like I didn't even bother with it because the people there, a lot of them, especially out of the, uh, in the mountains, um, I don't know if they can read or not. So it's better to just stick your thumb or wave at them. Um, and a lot of them don't even speak Spanish. You got to speak Quechua with them. Um, so, um, you know, it all depends on where you are, I think. And the best way to find out is going on Wikipedia or experiencing it yourself. Awesome, Jack. You know, you've been a wealth of info about checking, about travel, about uh, just the learning that, that you've uh, undergone over these many, many, many hitchhiking trips. So uh, if people wanted to follow you on YouTube to watch some of your episodes, uh, to maybe ask you some questions, how can they do that? Oh, uh, it's simple. Just type hitchhike the world or hitchhiking the world or even Chinese hitchhiker, Asian hitchhiker. You probably remember my face, so Asian hitchhiker. You'll find me doing that. Um, so that's how you find me on YouTube. Even if you Google Hitchhike the World, you'll find me as the first um, channel. So That's pretty impressive that you have the first, uh, uh, you know, first page, first uh, post on Google. Uh, so make sure you connect with Jack. You know, uh, he's very easygoing and laid back and willing to help out. He has a great YouTube channel with a lot of content about especially about this trip from uh, North America to Central America to South America and reach out to him uh, you know through his social media through the YouTube channel and I'll put the links um, I'll put the links below if you're watching this on YouTube I'll have the link to his channel and if you're listening to this on iTunes I'll have the link in the show notes so thanks again for all of your insights today and happy traveling uh, Jack thank you very much um, I'm gonna travel again in two days so. <laughs> Well, enjoy your trip. I know you're going to go uh, meet your girlfriend uh, over there in Brazil. So, uh, uh, and hopefully our paths will cross because I'm actually in South America now. So who knows? Maybe our paths will cross. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Eh? Yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode. Uh, uh, you know, uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. That helps us out. Give us a rating and review. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. You know, like, comment, and share as well. And happy traveling, everyone. And if you haven't done it before, 
stick out your thumb and happy hitchhiking. We'll see you in the next episode.